Welcome back, everyone, to Novel Ideas of the Illiterati. And we have a special, special day for, you, for everyone. We are going to talk about one of my favorite films, the 1979, The Bell Jar. Oh, no, no movie compares to <laughs> 1979's The Bell Jar. A, a fantastic tale of a woman who really enjoys being in the fashion industry and smoozing along with all the people and you know just trying just trying her her damnedest to 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 drop that v card you know just get rid of that v card and you know maybe just go hang out in an asylum for a little bit cuz you know that's just that's cool and everything and you know that's just that's the story of the bell jar you know that's what the bell jar is you missed the part of a lot of hysteria there was a lot of hysterical shouting. That was fun. Oh, a lot of hysterical shouting, a lot of rocking back and forth, because, you know, that's what crazy people do. Exactly. Uh. <laughs> oh, Andrea, what have we done to ourselves? Well, basically, Michael, we have taken one of the best novels and uh, watched a really, really shitty reproduction of it that was quite painful to get through. So... This week, we're going to roast a movie. We love to do it. We love to see it. We hated enduring it. So now we're going to put you guys through that pain. And as and just a warning, because this is a story about, you know, depression and suicide and things. Just letting people know, in case you don't know what the bell jar actually is really about. It deals with a lot of um, dark topics. So... And we'll be talking a little bit about Sylvia, and obviously she did commit suicide at the age of 30. So, yeah, keep away. If this is not for you, we understand. Mm-hmm. So, Andrea, what is the bell jar? Um, well, good question, Michael. I feel like I'm in a language arts class. <laughs> Basically, I took the bell jar to be her bouts of like the depths of her mental anguish and she talks about how she feels very isolated from people and you know mm -hmm. it's very claustrophobic in her mind sometimes yes it's how i took the bell jar well i mean yeah i i mean i'm right there with you it's sort of you know what a bell jar usually is you take an object you put it inside this jar typically a lot of you, you'll you'll see it a lot with um uh, you know, just sort of anatomical parts or like sometimes they'll put fetuses in bell jars and it's just like you're, it's closed off and isolated from everything else and sort of preserved in its state but can't ever leave or grow or change. No, uh, I was more asking uh, what, what is the story of the bell jar by Sylvia Plath, not this shitty 1979 edition we just watched. All right, so in the novel, we've got Esther, who's a young college girl who gets to live in New York for a few weeks, and essentially her and other young women are living together in this hotel, and they're, they're kind of shadowing slash interning for this magazine. And basically the story is her day-to-day, -day, and you're just kind of getting first person. There's some flashback moments where she talks about specifically a love interest, Buddy Willard. Um, but by the time you're starting off in the story, she's really over him, even though he is quite enamored by her. And um, so, yes, she's in New York. She's going to a lot of social engagements with friends. There's a bout of illness that takes them all because they ate some tainted seafood. And then the the people who provided the food, they send them all books as gifts. Um, of like top short stories that year, I think it was. And um, basically what happens, so she should, okay, I'm doing such a horrible job. She recovers, social engagements continue. Too much in, yeah. They go to this, um, to, mm -hmm. well, Michael, I'm trying to summarize the story. Oh, I think you're going <laughs> a bit too much detail. Um, it's just sort of, you know, she's, she's working as a fashion editor and then... She's dealing with her relationship with Buddy, who she doesn't really care about, but he just keeps on, he keeps wanting her, even though she clearly doesn't want him, and she I hates him because he's a, 
I know. I'm just <laughs> And he, 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 she hates him because he's a hypocrite, but she's also dealing with having to schmooze with people in the fashion industry, and there's only one person in the industry she really connects with. Um, and they become friends, but not really, like, close friends, per se. And then she has to, like, go on dates with people, but she's dealing with, like, predatory men who keep on trying to to sleep with her but she doesn't really want to sleep with them and she's she she almost kind of fetishizes ha the first uh, i guess we we all do when we're young sort of fetishize the first time where you're with you sleep with someone because she wants the man to be intellectual and have all these different aspects to him but she's just fed up with her life as a editor and fed up with just life in general, tired of having to do what men tell her to do, having to deal with thinking of becoming a mom, getting married, all that shit. And then her mom keeps trying to like make her feel better and say things are okay, but at the same time telling her to go to, a, to see this therapist. And then she ends up doing ECT, but a shock therapy. And then that doesn't work out. They fuck it up. And then later on she, and she's like she's she's really pissed off about all that stuff ha, m moves back in with her mom and then ends up going through an episode going to an an a, a uh not an asylum but a a a mental health home and then sort of you know making her way through that and then ultimately dealing with the suicide of a call of her colleague friend who was also at the institution and it's um and while also dealing with uh losing her virginity and sort of it didn't work out the way that she wanted and just sort of being kind of just fed up with life in general and sort of a i don't know kind of the bell jar sort of just feels like a really long um almost suicide note <laughs> in a way <laughs> Uh, you guys saw it here, though. We're still dealing with these same issues. Michael took over and mansplained the bell jar to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I, I, I just thought you were going a little bit too much in details, and we can get in the details with what we were talking about. I'm sorry if that that came off wrong. No, no, but, you're good. You're fine. <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, it's just sort of the, the bell jar. It, it's a, I mean, it's Sylvia Plath, very strong feminist writer, and this is my first time actually getting to read the bell jar and i've read a few of her poetry but you you know her a lot more than i do and if you want to go into sylvia plath please do um yeah well so i had read this previously but i was in high school and i think part of this novel is it very much understands where i think a lot of people are in our generation today once you've gone through college and you know it's kind of this position of you did what you were supposed to, you know, Esther gets good grades, she goes to school, she does her internship, and inter her internship, and then she feels stuck, and it's kind of a what now sort of question, and I think a lot of us can identify with that. It's actually kind of spooky how relevant the writing still is today, and Sylvia's just really good at understanding people's life frustrations, and obviously especially women, because at that time, there was still a lot of the entrapping dread of I'm going to get married and then just be, you know, she describes women at some point as being men's doormat that they step on. And so basically Sylvia, she had done only poetry before she wrote this novel. And it really shows, I like I wrote a note that I love when poetry authors write prose because it's very beautifully written. And her life is pretty much, you can't tell her story without talking about Ted Hughes because, you know, they met while she was still in school and she had already known about his writing and they met and there was, you know, that lovely intellectual spark between them that she writes about. They both understood each other as authors. They moved to the U.S. and they're both teaching and she comes up with the idea for the novel and I know around that time she was... She actually had applied for a grant because she needed, she already had children and she was having to, you know, provide financially, but also she was like, I need help at home to have time to write. And she like broke it down for them, the cost, and they sent her the exact amount she asked for, which was like $2,080.
And then she would send them regular updates, like, I've finished these chapters, I've got these next chapters outlined. But she was going through these bouts of depression, and she actually, just like the protagonist, had tried to commit suicide in the same ways. So, for example, how Esther takes the sleeping pills and crawls into the space in the cellar. That's from Sylvia's own life. Um, she also did try to drive into a lake at one point. And then obviously, you know, those were unsuccessful attempts. And this novel, what was interesting about it, so it was close enough about her life where, you know, her father also died when she was really young. And that rattled her a lot. But also the characters in the novel, their real life counterparts recognized enough of themselves that they said it was very hard for them to read. And allegedly one marriage actually broke up because of it. So yeah, there was a lot of inspiration from her real life in, in these individuals. But yeah, the novel actually came out in the UK first. She didn't want it to be in the US at first, probably also because of how it was inspired by people she knew. And um, her mom, too, was nervous about it being released in the US. But um, basically what ended up happening is, you know, she had that really terrible spell of depression. Um, Ted had cheated on her. We're not trying to blame Ted here. But I will talk about why Ted is controversial at some point. But he, they had split up at this point because he cheated on her and was now living with that woman. Her name's Asia, And he was still checking up on her. I mean, they're still communicating. But at one point, you know, she had sent him a letter that seemed to him like a suicide letter. So he rushed to her house and she basically wouldn't let him come in. And then I think it was very shortly after that uh, she uh, sealed herself into the kitchen and put towels down under the floor and taped up so her kids wouldn't get the gas. And basically, she turned the gas on in her oven, and she died from carbon monoxide poisoning. And it's very sad. But she did get a posthumous Pulitzer Prize for her work, because it deserves it. Well, probably one of the most beautiful books I've read. Like, Definitely. Like, as you were saying, where she has some of the best imagery I've, I've read she doesn't do it too much. Like it's 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 where it's needed to be in the prose, and I really appreciate it. And I'll, I'll, she she does use if I were to if I were to make any sort of complaint about her writing, it's it's only the fact that she uses death a couple times within terms of like similes and things like that. But it still works, and it's fantastic novel, straight up semi-biographical i mean isn't isn't like a from, from what i read the, the mother character is pretty much straight up her mom as well and like the way that the, the mom sort of um trying to you know just make things feel better and just be um, almost treat her childlike even though she's an adult and yeah a nice or well, not nice but it's a great it's great that someone was able to write a a hard look at life and what someone deals with on a day-to-day -day basis. Like I know I've mentioned in the past that I'm past I'm not huge on realism, but it's sort of this book I guess maybe it's just the way that she wrote it. It it really captured me in terms of the realism. If there's a book to be written realistically, it needs to be done how the bell jar is. Yeah, it's very true. And you know, there's parts that she puts in humor in really fun ways. I know there's this specific passage I love so much because it's her and this friend Doreen and they're out meeting guys and they're all talking about ordering drinks. And she said she wants straight up vodka. And she talked about how she saw an ad once for vodka and how clean and pure it looked. And she says her big dream was to order a drink and find out it tasted wonderful. But she's talking about... <laughs> She's talking about Buddy Willard at this time because she does snap back to instances with him a lot. And she's saying that um, the only times, you know, she said that college guys, she was surprised to find out, didn't smoke and drink quite as much as you expect. But he had ordered some bottle of something fancy. And she writes, so he could prove he could be aesthetic in spite of being in medical school. <laughs> and that was just <laughs> so great. Uh, yeah, and, and another instance that I really liked... And and I might have mentioned to it to you to you before was, it's it's sort of like because the character doesn't want to have children, and I know Sylvia Plath ended up having children, and I'm wondering if she just regretted having children, and or or maybe she just felt like it was forced upon her. 
where she's at the hospital with Buddy. He introduces her to her, his friend, who I think is a oncologist or tr going to become an oncologist. And she sees that they give the woman some sort of injection or medicine to basically numb the pain. She's like, oh, only a man would come up with this because the woman's going to completely forget about the pain and then go home and want to make more babies. And then yeah. just basically live in the cycle of creating children for, for the man. And I, I, I really, I thought I found some nice dark humor in that. And she has nice, clever ways of talking about uh, what she feels are injustices in the world, especially well, geared know. towards women. What I think, too, I don't know if it was necessarily her regretting having kids, but I think her whole point is women just don't have much of a choice. It's a certain expected timeline, especially back mm -hmm. then of you're going to college and you're going to meet a nice college boy and then fuck the fact that you went to college. You're going to stay home and have his kids now. And I think she just hated that whole trajectory. Um, yes, I think that, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Because it's also the same thing when she's talking about the elite girls and the in the editorial who really weren't there to really do work. They were just trying to find a man. Yeah. And, and whereas she felt like she wanted to work hard on her career and she didn't want to have to be trying to schmooze with all the men and try to really go on dates, even though she said she was like going on a date every week with someone, but she didn't really care for it. And I think that in, in a way it was sort of like, it just sort of popped in my head. And I wonder if, and it's it's actually I don't know if it's intentional or not. Where you were talking about the the alcohol that she couldn't find alcohol that she she liked, and I wonder like I'm now find, finding a connection to that to sort of like her and her and her time with dating men. She couldn't really find a man that she really liked either. It's sort of I, I, yeah. I don't know if she intended for that that connection, but I am now finding a connection between those two. So true and. Um, it's funny, we both talked about liking this passage, but there's a point where Buddy Willard gets tuberculosis and he goes live on a tuberculosis ward. And she's really relieved that at this time she can tell everyone that she's basically engaged and has an excuse to not go out on dates and just stay in her bedroom. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was great. Uh, yes, I I love that. I I don't know. I I. I don't know if it's good or bad, but I connect a lot with Sylvia Plath in terms of the way she deals with depression and um, just the way she feels kind of on a day-to-day -day basis, even though, you know, being a guy, I can't connect with everything, but it's, I, I do appreciate someone being able to write so honestly about what they're dealing with in their mental state. True. So. And there's one specific part that I think is so universally relatable there's that part where she's talking about she's reading from some magazine short stories. And there's one about this fig tree and the nun and the Jewish man that kind of meet because they're both tending to the fig tree. But she's likening her life to it and saying, you know, there's all these different branches I could go through. I could get married. I could teach. I could do all these things with my career. And while I'm sitting here trying to decide the fruit and the leaves are withering and dropping to the floor. And fuck me if that's not accurate <laughs> in terms of how things feel. But Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's sort of... Uh, Sylvia Plath is also a great, I guess, character study of someone who, who obviously worked really hard as a young person, was getting a bunch of awards, but life sometimes just doesn't work out for people, even if they are highly intellectual and are are driven and it's just sort of life's kind of a fucking mixed bag and we all have ideals about uh life and it's hard when life doesn't work out the way that you want i mean you got to keep i i i obviously believe you got to keep pushing through and just keep and trying to make it work and and i, I feel like if sylvia plath you know didn't unfortunately end her life she could have gotten to see what her work produced. So yeah, very true. It it takes sometimes it takes longer than than one expects in order to create a work or a piece or an art, whatever whatever you're working at. 
it sometimes takes longer than you expect. We, we all hear these stories about people making it big at a young age, but really some of my favorite people didn't get known until their later 30s, maybe even 40s. So it's just the way it goes. Everyone's path's different, much like the fig tree. Yeah. So uh, you want to shit on this movie? Oh, fuck this movie. Um, <laughs> this movie can go suck a fuck. Yep. <laughs> and I'm only saying that because Maggie Joan Hall did the audio book for The Bell Jar. Um, so, uh, and she, she did, did such a good job. She killed it. Yeah, yeah. Her voice just worked perfectly for uh, the story. But this movie gets so many fucking things wrong with the story. One, the fact that you're not in the character's head. Like this is this is very mm-hmm. much a story that you that needs to be driven by narration. You need to be able to if if not driven by narration, you need a lot of stylistic things. You need you need imagery to to put you in the person's head without straight up narration. And they completely forego basically what's going on in Esther's head. And just basically show us straight flat what's happened, what happened in the story. Like it's 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 sort of faithful to like the events that happen, but it's not faithful to the character Esther. <laughs> it's basically like oh we it, like it, it like basically watching this film made me feel like these people have n- had watched a film once or twice in their life and didn't didn't really know how to make a film, which is so weird because the 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 director, um, Pierce, what's his fucking name? James Pierce, uh, have it right? Larry Larry Pierce has directed a bunch of films, and one of them has even been like has a couple of them have been nominated for uh, like for Academy Awards or Golden Globes and shit like that, but this movie basically it felt so amateurist and yeah it and and the fact that they like the way the movie starts too with having esther in a black black room and she's uh spinning i'm pretty she's spinning reading off one of um sylvia plath's poems well that's the thing there are so many instances of narration you could use and I'm fine with using some of her writing, potentially, but the only times you do narrate, instead of picking out passages that are very relevant, you're just picking some passages from Sylvia Plath's poems. Why? Why not use anything from the actual novel other than the main plot points? Yeah, it's it's really stupid. Um, I I really don't understand how... I mean... It, 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 it's so unfaithful. I mean, we can, like, let's go, let's go into, um, yeah, when it starts off, it starts off with that, and then it goes into, she's, oh, look, she's at some, I don't know, I guess, writer's room, and she's winning some award, but she's, like, sketching, like, a black circle into the page that she's holding, and, like, already making her extremely erratic, from the very uh, yes. get go, let's hint at the madness uh, within. But it's not even hinting though. It's I like know, I know. Up, like it's like so you don't even have like a character progression. You're already starting her off as this this already doomed girl who is just scratching black circles into pages because she's crazy. Instead of no, it's really the world around her that makes her f- end up going crazy. Like uh, I. Like the what's what's great about the writing of Sylvia Plath is you connect with it a lot. Like you, there's a it sucks doing things you don't want to do. It sucks that this world puts so many things onto people, and depending on who you are and what you're born, uh, it, you can even have more than 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 other people in the world. So it's, but it doesn't do. It doesn't go into that at all. It doesn't. It doesn't go into, it doesn't, like, one of the biggest things, the whole, uh, her feeling that she has to get married. Like, there was nothing that the movie really even went into that she she was basically saying she didn't want to get married. She was dealing with all these things. It's basically, and maybe it's because it's directed by a man, and at that time, the guy, maybe Larry Pierce, 
wanted to cut out all the all the feminist stuff, which is basically cutting out really the entire story. That made me so mad. There's no nod yeah. to any of it, except for Buddy Willard quoting that author his mom likes of how the woman is the point from where the arrow launches and the man is the arrow, which is a hilariously horrible passage, but that's the only part they keep of her worries about her place as a woman. Yeah, it's stupid. And it also didn't really go into her not really connecting with the people at the editorial. It's and then uh, it, it, one, one th- like there, there was also just um, it felt like they would jump scenes at times, like just sort of jump one instance that I'm thinking of. It was when she was almost raped by by the guy at that one party, and she she punched his nose and she got away. And then it just cuts to her at her mom's place, and they completely skip over the whole dealing with um, Mr. Gordon. They completely skip Gordon, but they mention Gordon. Yeah. And they and then they cut to her right after her her mom her and her mom are talking they cut to before the conversation that they're having to where she's getting the shock treatment and it's going wrong but they sort of present it in a terrible way and then so it's really confusing it's really confusing storytelling it's really confusing bringing it's a really confusing adaption and it it's sort of there's a there's another instance and I can't remember exactly where it was and I wish I had written it down, but they do that same sort of jumping where they go ahead and then jump back as if it's sort of while they were editing the film, they were like, oh, we forgot to put this in. We forgot to do this. And it just baffles me. It's But let's go go back because, okay, so they also had this weird thing when they're in New York where her and Doreen are on the way to a party and then they just kind of get approached by the DJ guy and they just get out and go hang out with him. And that mm-hmm. was all to add this really weird scene where she's just watching her and Doreen dance with him and then chooses to join in and it joins, like it becomes sort of like a they're all making out moment. And yeah. then she runs what? away, which was completely dumb and pointless and horrible storytelling. But the whole point is all of that is supposed to be happening when they go to the country club party. And it's there where she meets the guy who assaults her, essentially. Because also part of Sylvia's writing is she's talking about how predatory college boys can be. Which I, I know they mm-hmm. keep that guy as a as the guy at the country club. But just like, I didn't understand any of the point of that extra scene. And where she's like kind of writhing on the floor. I really don't get it either. It's sort of, it, it, it really bothers me. And then it, it's sort of... One thing that, that also bothers me about this film is, one, they're too afraid because there's, there's the whole scene uh, a little bit earlier where Buddies asks her, have you ever seen a man naked? And then they don't show him naked, but then they'll show uh, the lead actress who plays Esther. Her, they show her um, naked at, at one instance. And it's like, they're trying to, they, they obviously are trying to sexualize the women in this film, and, but they won't show off a nude man like i don't it that shit bothered the hell out of me i and you know there's also funny writing there because you know a lot of us can probably identify with there are certain things we romanticized growing up and thought would work out a little differently and for her one of those things is when she does finally see a buddy's business she says that it looks like a turkey neck and gizzard yes. <laughs> and that was so yes. perfect um which I, they they actually did bring that into the film, but she's yeah. like saying it to I think it was either Joanne or Doreen afterwards, and also I I felt like the the actress that they chose, I don't know, she just she didn't feel like Esther at all. Maybe in terms of even in terms of looks, I guess like if I, if I remember correctly, that actress is like a soap opera star. And well, they gave her opera. some soap opera type material to work with. God damn. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus Christ. It's it was bad. Um, Sorry. Can I say something briefly? So um, mm-hmm. the electric shock treatment as well. That is something Sylvia Plath did go through. And I'm curious mm-hmm. to know at the time she went through it. So obviously 
people have, because of Hollywood, some perceptions of electroshock treatment. It was badly done for a long time, I will say. And the main issue with it was people weren't given muscle relaxants. So because your whole body is going through these spasms, people would break bones and things like that. However, all of that was revamped kind of around this time. And now it's done very carefully and it's actually very safe. It's actually apparently the only considered one of the only effective safe treatments for major depression for pregnant women because it doesn't affect the fetus, which is wild to me, but Mm. that's really cool. Um, Weird. Yeah, because I guess especially if you're keeping the jolts, you know, if they're going across the temple, electricity just passes from one side to the other, so it probably doesn't affect what's happening in the abdomen. But anyway, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's safe now. It is accurate, it wasn't. And probably really horrifying then. And it's also, you know, she does touch on some of the issues medically at that time because she is, while in the ward, she meets someone who went through a lobotomy, which, you know, horrifying practice. Glad that's done. Yeah, that's that shit's fucked up. I mean, I don't know if you've read up about what, uh, I forget the name, what her name is, but what the Kennedys did to their daughter when they gave her lobotomy. And I didn't know they did. That's wild. Yeah, they and then they kept her hidden. Um, you, like if you if you remember in BoJack where the where um Beatrice, yeah. Yes. So basically, that that sorry, that's, her mom. That's sort of Beatrice. Yes, yeah. Mom. Um, yeah. Um, it's sort of kind of an adaption of what the Kennedys did. Kind of, it's sort of like you know an elite family who yeah. gave one of the members of the family a lobotomy and then kept it hidden. And then I think she, I think in the Kennedys, she ended up like killing herself. But um. Yeah, lobotomy is a horrible fucking practice. You should not separate hemispheres. But um, yeah, going back to electric, con- the ECT shock therapy. I know a couple of people who have done it, and they said it worked great for them. So yeah. it's just uh, it's it's a uh, Hollywood does horrible things. Same thing with portraying people who are in mental institutions and like this movie. Everyone's yeah, because like the book. Like what's great about it is how. Honestly, seemingly, I mean, I'm going to say the word seemingly, but they, they, they're, they're all normal. They're all, but they're all just dealing with their own issues. Like the, the, the older lady, Dee Dee, um, like Esther goes into that. She, pro- she, she probably was dealing with a man who had a mistress and it's, it wrecked her life and yeah. is probably just in the, in this mental institution to sort of gather her thoughts and and, and get back in order like and then same thing with like joanne she's she's in the institution and she's just she's like esther i guess dealing with a lot of depression and then unfortunately for her her character she ends up committing suicide um and they portrayed that horribly in the film well yeah where esther finds her which was not how that whole was things was supposed to go of right just she finds her dead body and is running through the woods crying i mean it was can i just say okay people with depression are not hysterical and where the novel captures that well is she's just always very flat with people because she's not feeling a huge range of emotions which is how depression feels whereas in the movie she's just having these outbursts all the time right they make her manic make her highly manic it's which is not what sylvia plath had there's some people who have who have diagnosed sylvia plath after this book and obviously after her death and they said she was more of a type 2 bipolar which doesn't have manic episodes yeah but yeah and then also with also with joanne where joanne starts coming on to esther (laughs) that didn't fucking happen in the book and it was basically like oh so a crazy woman is going to come on to another woman it is what how the film basically portrayed it yeah they uh, are very homophobic in this movie yeah like it it was it was really fucked up i mean there's there's sort of the in the novel where where uh, esther and joanne are talking about two other people at this specific college that they were at and I, I think it was a it was a religious college, so th- these two girls became really close friends and were spending a lot of time. And the they the school didn't like that, so they then ended up like keeping these girls separated. And 
Well, they separate them because they came in and one was what braiding the other one's hair, and they were like, "Oh no!" Yeah. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> well, not that it'd be bad if anything else was happening either, but like, chill out. Yeah, it's just it, this movie. I just don't know how you can get a story so wrong. I mean, maybe we'll come across other adaptions that just completely fuck up the story, but... Well, don't just take it from us, because uh, I was looking at the wiki for this, and um, there are some scathing reviews. I think that's partially also why it was so hard to find it. I ended up just being able to find it on YouTube, but... Okay. The, the VHS rip of, of yes. the film. <laughs> yeah, so it, it was like really Amazon, horrible quality. Although I'm glad it wasn't. I didn't want to give it money retroactively. But anyway, so uh, the New York Times, Janet Maslin specifically said, the film's portrayal of Esther was disastrous because it is the character's imaginative life that leads her to a collapse and the movie barely goes skin deep. The audience isn't given the slightest clue about Esther's quirks, her fears, her peculiarly distorted notion of herself. The film has a way of spelling things out ad nauseum and still not making them clear. And I think that sums it up perfectly because you don't get anything going on in her head. You don't get any of that explanation and like any of her thinking of flashbacks in her life, things that are making her feel trapped. Yeah, you're just getting the plot points that are, like we said, also confusingly done anyway. Yeah, no, that's a that's a that's a good review of this fucking film. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, like this, the film also completely skips out on, you know, how much she she feels like she needs to to lose her virginity because you know that's sort of it's a stigma still even in society that oh you need to you need to lose your virginity you're not going like at an early age or or wherever you you're, you basically aren't a part of society until you do. And even in the book, I guess when even when she does lose her virginity and it doesn't go as well as as well as anyone would like, because she basically was hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging afterwards. Yeah. And it, she, she was like, at least now I feel like I I joined in some sort of tradition. And it's and you know what's interesting. So that's something she talks about that also has a lot of relevance today, where she's talking again about that author buddy willard's mom likes who was warning women to stay clean she called it staying pure and that hopefully you find a pure man and you get married and you can both be pure together until that time and she's you know responding to it and saying okay but you know men aren't staying pure men are going out and doing what they want but then they want a pure wife and what if you get married and find out he hasn't been pure and she's like you know what if that's the case i don't want to be pure anyway (laughs) and like Mm -hmm. That was a very no, good mean, point, you, Esther. It's a very good point. I, I connected with that a lot because growing up in a conservative religious background, you you got that shit a lot coming from the leaders of the church, sort of, you know, stay pure, do do these things. Otherwise, um, <clears throat> the one that you truly are destined for will will be sad and 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 it'll it'll ruin the relationship, sort of thing. And I fuck fuck adults that tell kids that type of shit. And also, like, I identified with that because I saw it as one of those things where, like, well, I just wanted, you know, I was excited to do the thing. And I was like, I just want to, like, say I've done it. And then I identified a lot with her talking about how she was wondering, you know, if she could just look at herself in the mirror lately and she'd be different. And I like that Mm -hmm. bit where she's saying she might see, like, a mini figurine of the, you know, interpreter guy, like, in the corner of her her eye, sitting on a chair and, like, waving at her. (laughs) Because he'd been her first, and she's, like, thinking about the interpreter from the UN, but... Yeah, and... and Keeping keeping with this, and it's something that the 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 movie completely skips is the the neighbor friend who's sort of like watching Esther, and whenever Esther's talking to a guy, specifically the sailor guy that she was she was interested in, and she was hoping to you know sleep with, sort of. She was I, I think she ended up not really liking him because he wasn't intellectual enough, but. Uh, it's just sort of while she's talking and she she thinks that the woman goes by and then um she it wasn't her but sort of uh she, she then she then uses that instance to sort of uh make the guy feel sorry for her about how she doesn't he makes her believe she, she makes him believe that uh like she doesn't have parents and stuff and you know and whatnot but um yeah they completely skip out on a lot of that um, pretty, pretty much every they 
pretty much skip on everything that Sylvia Plath was trying to say in this novel. And Yeah. And um, they also skip, like, before she actually does, you know, the character takes those pills and crawls in that cellar space, there's a lot of moments leading up where they kind of touch on the fact that, you know, she hasn't been showering and she's been wearing the same clothes. In the novel, she also talks about she's, like, not been sleeping for many days on end. But there's all these instances where, you know, if you've ever been in a low mental state, you can identify with, like, when she goes and just spends that whole day on the beach and she's thinking about swimming out or just letting the tide come in and take her. But she just spends that mm-hmm. whole day just sitting there because she just doesn't feel like she has the energy for anything else. Um, and there's that instance where, like, she had gone swimming with friends and she was wondering if any of them, that was, like, really sad, too. She was wondering if anyone would talk about how, you know, odd she looked now because she hasn't been sleeping or taking care of herself, but no one's really noticing. And she wanted to swim out to that rock that was really far. And then she's she tried to, like, just kind of let go and sink under the water. And it's like, I don't know, it's just kind of giving you an idea of where her head's at before, you know, just this big event. And in the movie, she's, like, writing on the mirror with lipstick because that's also what crazy girls do. <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah, I, know. I was like, what the fuck? Oh, I'm going to go see Daddy again. <laughs> As if... I mean, obviously, that was, like, an instance that, that really affected Sylvia Plath and uh, Esther. But it was so weird how they did that where she's where, where she's having that mental break and writing on the mirror i hated it it was people people suck at interpreting mental illness and showing it in film um like even, even when like you know she tries to she uses the razor blade to cut herself like one she did it wrong um two uh, it, it made me sort of really appreciate um, Wes Anderson and, and Royal Tenenbaums when his character, uh, when uh, Luke Wilson's character tried to commit suicide. And it was actually really beautifully done. I mean, it's obvious, it's a very tragic thing and obviously please no one commit suicide. But it, it was a great portrayal of how it happens. But... Um, I might cut that out. Um, but uh, I mean, but it's about to say there's there's ways of showing, like it's obviously a very difficult topic, and you don't want to be promoting it. But there's realistic ways of showing what someone's going through yes. because it's important to talk about like all difficult topics. And there too, like she's got a very good interpretation of a mother, like specifically those of us who have parents that have their shit together and are very not understanding of when you don't have your shit together is how the mom character plays out. And, you know, (laughs) having a mom, like, I have a mom who, you know, why I'm going through therapy and she likes to ask me, how's it going? Are you better now? And I'm just like, that's not how therapy works. But, like, her mom's kind of got that same essence. And, like, you know, there's that scene where she visits her for her birthday and she's trying to give her the flowers. And there was some moment where her... Esther's talking about being sad about something and her mom's like, well, this is only happening because you misbehaved because she sees this whole thing as her acting out. Because like there's also, you know, at that time, there's still a huge stigma on mental health. It's getting better these days where people feel more okay to talk about it. But they probably also just didn't know how to deal with it because they weren't prepared in any way. Mm hmm. No, definitely. I mean, that's 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 one thing with this film. They they. Because the book sort of takes place like the with the uh, the mental health institution, like it sort of takes up about half the book, honestly. Like maybe not entirely half, but um, there's a good bit of it that involves the institution, whether it's the institution itself or when she she's able to go, she she's allowed to go have like uh, town visits and stuff. The movie completely skips over most of it and throws the institution into about like a 20 minute segment and like for for example the because esther's scared of doing shock therapy again and her caretaker at the institution knows how bad it is and um she, she 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 comforts esther and is like 
if you we ever ha feel like you need another shock treatment, we will. I will warn you ahead of time, and I will be there with you, and through the whole thing. And there's a lot of caring between characters, and I forget what the name of that character is, but and because because that's the same character that after after she goes through the shock treatment again, uh, she and then when she when she loses her virginity, she's the person that Esther feels like she can go to, and she she goes to her place to basically yeah. get a doctor to to help to try to help take care of her even though i guess a doctor doesn't come because he complains that it's not during the work week and he's not going to help so it's True. uh you lose you lose a lot of the the people who actually do care about esther and speaking of the in institution when joanne comes into the institution and esther feels like she's sort of copying or Esther feels like Joanne is copying her. Yeah. Sort of coming in because Joanne Joanne read the the newsletter about her and then whatnot. And and that's where people with 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 depression and things like that can't sometimes find that other people are dealing with the same issues that they are and it wasn't until later on in the book when Esther sort of finds that connection with about Joanne and and about Dee Dee as well, that they have their own issues, and that, and that really, and even though Esther feels like she's in a bell jar, there are other people who also feel like they're in a bell jar, and they can, they can all work together in a way. And yeah, and you know, speaking of that character of Joanne, it's kind of eerie. So back to Sylvia Plath's life, you know, she has separated from Ted, and after her death. He writes, he doesn't talk about it for a long time, but he writes about her. And there's this actually beautiful poem in part of his collection of birthday cards. And the woman he cheated on her with, he actually ends up living with her and they have a child together as well. And then mm. she actually dies the way Sylvia did, except she, it's really, sorry, sad. It's sad and morbid, guys. And if you're on a skip, go ahead, please. But she gives her child and to herself takes sleeping tablets and then she turns the gas on and like she had moved the mattress to the kitchen because apparently it's actually a very common way of committing suicide in the UK was to use the oven because they had not yet switched to natural gas. So because they were coal powered ovens, they were releasing um, carbon monoxide. And what's crazy is when they mm -hmm. switched to natural gas, suicide rates went down by 33%. Sorry, just random fact, but um, no, I mean, there's that moment where it's almost like an eerie foreshadowing to her own life where Buddy Hillard comes to visit after jo Joni commits suicide or Joanne. I don't know if we're saying it right. I don't remember exactly, but he comes to visit <laughs> and he asks her, is it my fault that all the women I'm connected to seem to be going through this depression? And it's really kind of an uncanny parallel. Um just, sorry, just weird it worked yeah. out that way. Yeah, no. Um I think you're you're right on that. And it's also sort of buddy buddy character, which I'm assuming is pretty much Ted, seems to think that he he has a lot more influence on people's lives than he actually does. And I and I love when Esther's character is like, yo, some of the great therap some of the greatest therapists deal with patients who have depression and then they end up committing suicide but the but the therapists know not to take that on that it isn't their fault if if it happens and stuff like that so yeah um, and I thought it was interesting that the first therapist she doesn't like him and she feels like him having the pictures of his happy family in the office is like kind of gloating or being above people and then it's it's interesting, you know, she does identify with the female doctor. And I've actually also found that as well. And I'm not, you know, trying to say anything against male mental or, you know, health professionals. But, you know, there has been that issue of women feeling like they haven't been listened to in the medical field by male doctors. Mm -hmm. 
So it's interesting she touched upon that back then because I know that's still an issue today. And actually, no, I have, I do want to rag on doctors because my gynecologist, <laughs> my first one was a man and he kept asking me if I thought I was going to marry whoever I was dating yet. And if I was thinking of having kids oh, one day and I was like, that is so not your place to talk to me about that. You're here to make sure I don't have cervical cancer. But, um, yeah. And actually I had a Jesus Christ. pharmacist once call me to ask why we were prescribing someone at the dental office and, um, this antifungal and I was like well she's a woman and he's like yeah so I'm like we gave her antibiotics yeah so and I was just like I'm sure you might be aware because you went through pharmacy school that women who take antibiotics might get a fungal infection so yeah that's why we prescribed it what are you questioning me about I don't know like it there are some weird moments I think within the health industry Jesus Christ but yeah okay can we talk about Ted because here's the yes. big controversy, if people aren't aware. So Sylvia Plath, at the time of her death, was still married to Ted. And Ted inherited her estate. And so there were some things that weren't published yet, some collections that weren't out. And he burned one of her last journals and said he didn't want the children to read it. And that's made a lot of people iffy because you could just keep the kids away. Why are you burning her work? And he has been accused of with her collection of poems. Her last one was Ariel. There's some very beautiful writing there. If poetry's your thing, even if it's not, give it a shot. But he was accused of taking out some pieces that might not paint him in the greatest light or reordering the pieces so it wasn't so obviously writing about him. Now, I'm not sure, like, the validity of, like, all of it, but I do know the burning of the journal was a thing that happened. So I think just a lot of people are very uncomfortable by the fact that they were so close, and then he kind of got to mess with the way her work came out. And didn't he also get rid of a second manuscript? Yes. Yeah, so... so well, no, he fuck. delayed it. It wasn't allowed to be published till 2013. Uh, okay. And then it came gotcha. out. So, But yeah, there's just a lot of iffiness there. And, you know, I'm not blaming him for the fact that two women in his life committed suicide. I'm just saying that makes people uncomfortable. It kind of makes me uncomfortable. I would hope some impartial third-party person would determine, you know, how her work came out instead of someone so close to the situation. Yeah, and, and unfortunately that's that's... And speaking of like the fact that like he got her estate, that's that is one of because they were married. Unfortunately, unless she had a will that that directed it otherwise, he would get her estate based on how yeah the uh, the marriage institution works in this country. So it's well, it's in is, the UK. What, but yeah, what am I? It's true. Oh yeah, sorry. Um, in the UK, uh, which is one reason why I have issues with with marriage um it's just how much the government gets involved in it in, in a relationship so i i'm not a i'm not a fan <laughs> just gonna <laughs> i'm just gonna throw that out there <laughs> i'm a fair fan of how uh like you know just let uh, people should just have relationships and not involve the government in any sort of way i mean if there may, maybe there's a better way we can do it or or sort of I, I get the sort of like why people get married. Uh, there's there are benefits, you know, taxes and if, you know if if your partner dies, then you can inherit. You do inherit their their stuff. But if you just write a will, honestly, wouldn't you kind of get it anyways? Um, I don't. I don't really know. It's the tax benefits are the government bribing you to register your relationship with them. <laughs> No, I know. It's sort of like the government's like, oh, we'll give you these tax benefits if you get married just so like they can get a bunch of married people in their country. And, you know, I don't I don't really I don't really know. It's, it's all weird. It's um, a, but it's a tradition that we do. True. But yeah. You know, it's weird because like I don't know how much of it was meant to be autobiographical. Sylvia didn't seem to suggest it was very much so. I can see. As someone who writes, you can be inspired by certain locations you were in to write about them without necessarily meaning everything you put in there as your opinion. Obviously, there's a lot of parallels right. to her and Esther, but I, I am sure her and Ted were very much in love. Like You can see from the writing, and you can see especially from his writing after her death, he was very fucked up by it. 
and you know, I'm sure they were very close. Things happen. And that's the other thing. Like, when you have two famous authors like this who are really in the prime of their their writing at the time, I, I argue she was a better author. I'm sorry. I'm going to put that out there. But um, <laughs> I haven't read his work, so I don't really know. I mean, it's good. It's good. Don't get me wrong. But she's just better. I'm sorry. Anyway, but, like, <laughs> their relationship was very publicized. A lot of people were very angry at him. There was a lot of controversy. Um one thing I actually just think is kind of funny, but also don't go around defacing people's gravestones, but people would go and chisel off where it said Hughes on her gravestone, so just the Sylvia Plath part was left. Um, right. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I, I'm against... I'm, I'm, it's, it's sort of like other people are trying to decide what Sylvia would have wanted, and... It's yeah. kind of a, like no one, no one really for all knows. We know, like, she I'm, was fine with him getting her estate. I mean, they were still yeah. communicating. For all we know, this is how she wanted it to go. Yeah, they were separated. That doesn't mean that they would have fully gotten a divorce, or or maybe they would have come back. Maybe she just needed time completely alone. Like, there's nothing. Who knows? We, we, you, no one knows, and all we know is what happened. And I don't know. It's it's sort of people. People interjecting themselves into other people's relationships and stuff. So, I, I don't like it. I don't like like when I, when I heard about people were, were were scratching off her gravestone. I'm like, I don't really know if she would have wanted that. Like, no one knows. No, so no. Just sort of. And you know, as outsiders, we don't know what happened in a marriage. We do know that he cheated and it, she didn't like it. But uh, beyond that, we don't know much. Mm-hmm. Definitely. We do know, actually wait, we do know this movie fucking sucked. So We do know much. this movie fucking sucks and Larry Pierce, you you soiled your 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 legacy with this fucking film. Um I mean, he did an adaptation of a separate piece which I think I saw when I was in high school because we read it. And if I remember it was pretty good or at least a fair adaptation. Um but god Please, no one ever watch this film. I mean, if you if you really want to just, you know, hate yourself. Like, I feel like my life is much worse having watched this film. Um, you can find it on YouTube with a really horrible VHS rip, which is pretty much the quality that this film deserves is a VHS rip of it. So, yeah. Oh, also, uh, um, mm -hmm. what was potentially about to happen, but didn't... Uh, Kirsten Dunst was supposed to make her directorial debut and readapt it with Dakota Fanning playing Esther, which I could see. I could see All it. Right. But then that kind of... Kirsten Dunst got separated from the project, and then it was supposed to be a Showtime series, but that was announced late 2019. A series? Yeah. So I don't know what's going right. to happen if we're going to get another ad adaption. I would personally... I think if we got it in the style of, say, Eternal Sunshine... Or honestly, the the other movie that has this feel, at least, because it is a clever movie that takes place in a mental health clinic would be something like Girl Interrupted. But I would say more stylistic and more because, of, you know, the whole thing is narration in her point of view. You get the stream of consciousness element. So you'd have to stylize it a bit more. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, would, I would definitely, definitely recommend we readapt this and actually do her justice. I just fear getting another bad adaption. <laughs> That's true. Uh, just sort of like I mean, the work is great on its own. It's just sort of some works. Maybe maybe this is one of those pieces that can't be adapted to film. I don't know. Um, I think it. I mean, reading it, reading it, I felt like it could. But then after watching the film, I was like, dear fucking lord. But see, we're in a different um, place, movie wise. Like. I thought it would be hard to adapt. I'm thinking of ending things, and that was great. Oh yeah, but then that yeah. was good. Yeah, that was that was a great adaptation. But that's also sort of that was from a very stylistic director. Yeah, basically, and... I'm just saying I want Charlie Kaufman to do it. <laughs> that's the only person <laughs> I'm happy with touching this is Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's a, he's probably one of the few people that could really tap into mental illness as well. As the story tells, um, yeah, I'm trying to think of like another director. Right, I'm writing him an email. It, but... First of all, big fan. <laughs> Second of all, can you please adapt 
<laughs> the Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath. We need you. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it was hard to watch this film. Um, but I guess, uh, do you have anything else you want to say about the adaption or the story or... No, I'm going to say go go to Audible, listen to Maggie Gyllenhaal beautifully narrate this story. Go read some of mm-hmm. Sylvia Plath's writing. Fall in love with her like we have. Yeah. 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 Sylvia Plath, uh, very, a very beautiful person, and we're kind of lucky to have had her works in this world. Yeah. That's all I want to say. I don't want, I don't want to say anything else on the film. And don't be like the Kennedys. We've got, oh, we've got this running thread of keeping people locked behind walls. Don't be like the Kennedys. Don't be like Lord Craven. Don't lock anyone behind a wall unless you're Michael. It's become his thing. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it helps me sleep. I need, I need wailing going on. I'm just, I'm just now like, oh God, what have we done watching books and their film adaptions? Like want, reading a beautiful book and then seeing it trashed. Yeah, we need but. a good one after this. So next week is going to be recovery day. <laughs> so it's a mental health break next have week, a nice stiff of. glass of straight vodka and we'll see you next week mm-hmm. see y'all then bye 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 <laughs>